But let's pray as we look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. Lord, we, we do come before you and thank you, Lord, for your goodness, Lord, your grace. Um, thank you, Lord, for this sermon, Lord, how you were able to give the disciples instruction on how you were wanting them to lead uh, the church. And Father, we just pray as we, we come here today, Lord, we pray that you'd be here. Lord, we pray that you'd quiet our hearts and minds so that we can hear you, Lord, and uh, speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to continue through the Sermon on the Mount series, and I don't know about you, I don't know if you guys know somebody, maybe they're a close friend of yours, maybe they're a little different, or maybe eccentric, maybe they dress a certain way, or they talk a certain way, but they just stand out uh, in your eyes. And we all know those people. Um, But in our Sermon on the Mount series, we're going to see that Jesus is going to tell us what his kingdom living is going to look like, and that it's going to look different than what they had previously seen. So much so that it says at the end of this sermon that the disciples were astonished because he spoke with authority, not like the scribes. And so Jesus' way of telling us what his kingdom's going to look like and the requirements for followers on what the kingdom is going to look like is going to be not like anything that they had ever seen or heard. One commentator put it this way, G.A. Carson, he said, it presents a radically different agenda than what the nation of Israel expected from the Messiah. It does not present the political or material blessings of the Messiah's reign. Instead, it expresses the spiritual implications of the rule of Jesus in our lives. This great message tells us how we will live when Jesus is Lord. In the first century, there was very little agreement among Jews as to what the Messianic kingdom would be like. In one very popular assumption was that the Roman yoke would be shattered and there would be political peace and mounting prosperity. And so we have been reading about what Christian character looks like for a follow of Christ here on earth. And I want to take a moment to, to go back. I thought the first chapter here, chapter five, the first part of our series, I thought really stuck out when, when Pastor Jared taught on the Beatitudes, and these are the attitudes that we should be, character traits that are marks and goals of all Christians. So I want to take a moment just to read that, just to get in our hearts and minds what this type of kingdom living is going to look like. And if you want to jump there, you can. I don't have it back on the screen, but it's Matthew chapter 5. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And we're just going to read through the whole Sermon on the Mount. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I thought that set a good, a good foundation for us as we're talking about kingdom living. It's going to look different than, than what we even see or what even the disciples had seen to that point. I thought Josh Dean did a good job a couple weeks ago when he had mentioned that the law 
was used as a mirror. You know, the law was used as a mirror to reveal how desperately we are short of God's perfect standards. Leading up again to chapter 6, we know that kingdom living doesn't harbor bitterness towards another. Verse 22 of chapter 5, it says, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. We also know that kingdom living doesn't approve of lust of the mind. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. Kingdom living tells us to love our enemies, bless those who curse you, and do good to those who hate you, and to pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. And lastly, kingdom living tells us that we are to be perfect, just like your Father in heaven is perfect. And so we see here that Jesus sets the standard, or he sets the bar to how we are supposed to live. And so as we jump into our section today, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And again, we're going to look through verses 1 through 18 today. But last week, um, these verses tie into some of the themes in the message that I feel like the Lord has for us today. So we'll start there. We'll read verses 1 through 4. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. And again, we're going to see some themes here in our message today, or at least in the text today. One of the themes that we're going to see is that the word Father is used ten times in the section today. And so again, this reminds us that The Father, God, you know, do we have access to Father as we read this? You know, are you a child of God? Other themes that we're going to see today is there's things that Jesus is going to say to do and not to do. Another theme is what is the motivation for our righteous deeds? And then also what are the rewards that Jesus speaks of and the rewards of man? We're also going to see themes of hypocrisy in this text today. And remember here that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And so this is an implication as we read through this text today that Jesus wants us to be giving people. He wants us to be a praying people and he wants us to be a fasting people, but he wants us to do it a certain way. And remember the religious leaders at at this time didn't always modeled how God wanted them to do things. They misrepresented God. In verse 1, it says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so verse 1 is going to set the table on how we are not supposed to do charitable deeds. Charitable deeds. It says, take heed. That means give attention to. Jesus is saying, give attention to not doing charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. And this is important to note that the Pharisees and scribes would often give money to the poor when everyone was watching. You know, when the the streets had the most people in it, when the synagogues were full, that's when the, the... the Pharisees and the scribes would often give to the poor. And it wasn't because they cared so much about the poor. It was that they wanted others to see that they were giving. And so, as we look at this study today, we have to ask ourselves, there's two ways of doing things. You know, are we doing things unto man to have other people look at us and give us an attaboy? Are we doing things unto the Lord? And we're going to read about today the reward system for both things are completely different. In the, two, in, 
in chapter, I'm sorry, in verse 2, it says, therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. And again, it's, it's this idea of blowing the trumpet, you know, making a sound so that other people will look at you and see what you're doing. Jesus is saying, hey, that is your reward. The recognition of other people looking at you and seeing what you're doing. In the first two verses, the word reward is mentioned twice. In the Greek, the word reward means dues for paid for work. Or another definition is used of the fruit naturally resulting from toils and endeavors. And I think we all get this concept, right? You, you work and you get paid. Or you provide a service and you get compensated. You know, this is something that my kids right now, they've been experiencing. I don't know, I have a, a four-year-old, an eight-year-old, a one-year-old, and I don't know about you, I don't want you to judge our, my parenting style, but our kids were coming knocking on the door late at night, early in the morning, Dad, I had a bad dream, or Dad, I'm thirsty, can you get me a cup of water, it's dark downstairs. And so after a while, you know, we, me and Andrea, we, we love our kids being with us. It wasn't a big deal. You know, we'd all pile into the bed. But after months of, of this going on, you know, and you start losing some sleep, you start to realize, you know, we've got to change what we're doing here. Um, so I had a great idea. You know, I, I went to Jack and Autumn and I said, I have an idea for us. How about every night you sleep in your bed and you don't come into your room, I'll give you a quarter. And Jack and Autumn looked at each other. They said, we think this is a good idea. And I said, okay, if you sleep in your bed, we'll give you a quarter every night. And you know what happened? They started sleeping in their bed every night. And you know what else happened? I lost a lot of quarters. But, but we understand that there's a biblical truth behind this as well, right? If we do work, we get rewarded. There's some scriptures I'd like to read. Revelation 22.12 says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. 2 Corinthians 5.9-10 says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15 says, According to the grace of God which has been given, me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will, it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work he has built on it endures, he will receive a word. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so through fire. And so I think most of us understand this concept, right? The things that we do will be brought before the Lord. And the things that we've done, that we've done with good intentions will be rewarded. But the things that we did with selfish intention, with selfish motive, the allegory, the picture is, is that Jesus is going to throw that into the fire. That means we will not be rewarded for the things that we did for selfish gain. And so as we look back at verse 2, Jesus says that the applause of the hypocrites and the scribes was the applause of the people. And I think this is a warning for all of us who 
might do things for the attention of man rather than unto the Lord with a clear conscience. I think this is a lie that we all have to guard ourselves from, that the outward appearance is more important than the inward reality. Or in other words, that appearance is more important than character. We see this this played out in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. You guys probably know the story. In in the early church, the great move of God was happening, and Ananias and Sapphira, they sold part of their property, and they laid it at the disciples' feet. But what they did is they held back part of the proceeds, right? They said, we gave so much, but really they were hiding what they kept. And what happened to them? Poof! Ananias and Sapphira were dead because they were being dishonest about the money. Some of us might be a little concerned today. Honey, were we honest about our taxes? You know, did we? No, I'm just kidding. But the example is, in that part, Barnabas, right before that section, it says that he sold part of his property and he gave all the proceeds and laid it at the apostles' feet. At the apostles' feet. So again, there's a contrast between the right way to do things with the right motive and the wrong way to do it, and what is acceptable in God's eyes. God is so important; it means so much to God that our character and in our giving is unto the Lord with the right motive. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves when we give out of the abundance of our heart that he provides. He loves it when we serve with a joyful attitude and when it is sincere. But when we give and we we grumble about it and we complain about it, you know, I think the Lord is saying, hey, I'd rather you keep it if if you're going to make that big of a scene about it. And again, in God's kingdom, there's going to be eternal rewards. And the other system is this worldly, earthly system that is passing away. And so again, I think we get the concept, right? There's two different systems, two different people we're trying to please, and two different rewards that are available to us. Verse 3 of chapter 6 says, But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, what your charitable deed may be in secret, that your father who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. This phrase, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know, that's the interpretation is, is you don't know when you're giving it, you don't know if it's your left hand or your right hand, you're doing it with clear motives. You're hardly aware of it, is the attitude. You have a clear conscience and a pure motive when you're giving. And Jesus wants us to give with the right motives, the right intentions. You know, you might look at that and say, well, you know, at the tithe box, I don't want anyone to see me because then God won't accept my reward. You know, maybe you hide in the back till everyone leaves and then you drop your, your tithe in. I, you know, if, if that's the Lord speaking to you, about that, you, you, you should do what the Lord's speaking to you, maybe give online, but... It's not saying that you can't give publicly. You know, that's not what I think the Lord is saying. He's just saying, what is the motive or the intention behind the giving? Are you, are you giving to be seen by man? Or are you giving unto me? And if you give unto me with a, with a clear conscience, and you're doing it for the right reasons, you'll be rewarded. And again, this is supposed to be a mark of a kingdom giver. We're supposed to give with no hypocrisy. We're supposed to to give or serve with no agenda, with the pure motives. And so we're going to move now from charitable deeds or giving to praying. Verse 5 says, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. So Jesus tells them that how they are supposed to give, and now he's saying how they're supposed to pray. Notice what he is saying not to pray like. He's saying don't pray like a hypocrite. 
And a hypocrite is a pretender. Or, in other words, it's a stage actor. It's where we get the, the idea from the Greeks. It's like you, you wear a mask and you act one way here in front of other people. You put the mask down. You put on another mask and you act one way with these people over here. It's, you're not being sincere. You're, every mask that you wear, you're, you're playing to a different audience. You're acting one way and doing another. Jesus doesn't want his disciples to be like these hypocrites. And again, there were two places where a Jew in Jesus' day might pray in this hypocritical manner. They might pray in the synagogue at the time of public prayer or on the streets at the appointed times of prayer, which would be at 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. And again, these Pharisees and scribes, they would show up at the popular times of prayer so that people would see them. They weren't really seeking to have fellowship with God in prayer. It was fake. And remember, this sermon is so important because Jesus is laying out this kingdom living that he wants his disciples to live by. So, you know, the giving, the praying, the fasting, these are all going to be really important things for the believer and for them at the time, and it's important for us now. And so some of the takeaways that we need to know is that Jesus does not like to be misrepresented. James tells us that, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we, we shall receive a stricter judgment. Jesus is saying to his disciples that he doesn't want them to be hypocritical. And I think Jesus doesn't want us to be hypocritical either. You know, Jesus wants kingdom living to be void of fakeness, of self-seeking, you know. And if we're being honest with ourselves, I think we can all relate to times that we've maybe had the wrong intentions on why we've done things, even for the Lord. You know, there's been times, I think, where maybe we've been hypocritical to someone else to make ourselves look good. I think this is all stuff that we can relate to. And I think that this is what Jesus is wanting to remind his disciples is that self-seeking doesn't impress Jesus. You know, think about that. Jesus is saying, hey, you want to do that? You can have your reward. Your reward is the applause of men. Jesus literally is saying is, if that's what you want your reward to be, go ahead, you can have it. My reward system is going to be different. And so again, today we have to ask ourselves what system are we living in? Are we living for God's kingdom? Are we living for the kingdom of what everyone else thinks? You know, this can be challenging for us. You know, maybe some of us struggle, you know, as people pleasers. We feel like we have to make everything look good and buttoned up, and we have to make sure the appearance looks good that way. What everyone sees, they'll think us a certain way. And we have to rid ourselves of thinking this way and, and trying to let everyone look at us for what we want them to see rather than looking at God and looking at ourselves and saying, Lord, what do you want me to be? Who am I in you? And we're always fighting the temptation to make ourselves look better than what we really are. Verse 6 says, but when you pray... Go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Here we see that the prayers with the right motive are rewarded by God. And sure, we, we get the idea of that in heaven we'll be given rewards for the things that we do on earth, but isn't it a blessing like when we pray how God will reward us as we pray? You know, isn't it some of the sweetest times, I think, in prayer is when I've been by myself, no one's around, it's just me and the Lord, and you know what the Lord starts doing? He starts revealing himself to me, his word, his will. He starts encouraging me with promises from his word, and he starts giving me, reminding me of the joy that we have as believers, where our destination is as believers. He'll start putting people in our heart to pray for and that we want them to experience just the joy of salvation, the joy of knowing God. It's in that quiet time that we're alone with the Lord that I feel like He does His best work in prayer, in and through us. 
And I just want to be clear that prayer does not mean that we cannot pray in public settings or, or God won't reward us. You know, we see in Acts 2.42 that they continued steadfastly in the Apollo's doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayer. And no doubt that was done in corporate prayer. So I'm not saying that God only speaks to us in private prayer and um, if we do corporate prayer, he's not with us. I, I don't think that's the main heart here. Jesus is implying that genuine prayer should not have an, an I'm trying to impress others type of motive. And Jesus modeled the sincere prayer for us. In Matthew 14, 23, he says, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was alone there. And so Jesus would even take time to be alone with the Father and commune and to have fellowship with him in prayer. Prayer is a good thing if done the right way. It's a tool that we've been given. It's, it's an opportunity that we have access to the Father with. He wants us to be continually coming to him in prayer. Verse 7 says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Again, a reminder that Jesus wants our prayers to be genuine. You know, no doubt that part of the prayers of the scribes and the Pharisees was to try to impress others. One commentator put it this way, I thought it was good. Prayers which are mostly words and no meaning, all lips and no mind and heart are not pleasing to the Lord. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting like that? Where, you know, it's almost like it's their time to shine, you know? Back up, everybody, you know. I'm about to show you every verse I've memorized. Here it goes. And it, it kind of becomes like a scene in the prayer time. It's like a, it's like, wait, you can almost like recognize it right away, can't you? It's like, man, something's off here with the way this person is praying. And again, in our prayer times, Jesus wants there to be a sincerity in our prayers. You know, we don't need to recite the same prayers. I mean, it's good, don't get me wrong, it's good to, to share God's word publicly and to, to, if you have a verse that you know, it's appropriate and sometimes corporately to share prayers, but we shouldn't be doing it with the attitude to impress others. Verse 8 says, therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. This is an awesome verse. For your Father knows the things that you have need before you ask of Him. So we don't pray to tell God things that He, does, he didn't know before we would tell Him, right? We, we pray to have closeness with God and to appeal to a loving God who wants us to bring every need and worry before His throne. And so just because God knows the answer to our prayers, right? God knows the beginning and the end. When we come to God in prayer and we're asking Him of things or we're making our requests and petitions, that doesn't mean just because God knows the answer that we shouldn't come to Him, but we have confidence of knowing that, that God knows what we need before we ask Him. But in the same token, right? Because if you take Scripture in its entirety, we're told to always be coming to God to be praying without ceasing, to be coming to the Lord in a constant manner to lay our requests before Him. God wants us to be continually coming to Him. And so we're given a model prayer. I would like to read it with you guys. If you want to read with me, we'll have it on the screen here. This is going to be uh, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. It says, In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I think we'd all agree uh, there's some awesome truths in this prayer. We know that G this is Jesus' model prayer for us, so there's a lot of things that we need to look at in saying if Jesus is telling us to, to pray in this way, we need to know what are some of the things that are in this prayer. 
Verse 9 says, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so again, we need to recognize this. When we pray, because Jesus wants us to be a praying people, we need to know who we're praying to. Our Father in heaven. The right kind of prayer comes to God as the Father in heaven. It recognizes who we pray to, coming with a privileged title that demonstrates a privileged relationship. Now, the Jew at this time would have a father at, would have a hard time naming God Father. They, they, they would associate like God as um, the father of the Israelites. But this word in the Greek means Abba, Father, or even Daddy, right? There's, there's a super closeness in this title. But Jesus, again, mentions this 10 times in this section today. He wants us to come with access to him like our father, our, our daddy, our Abba. Hallowed be your name. And So when we pray, we need to be acknowledging his title. We need to respect it. It's worthy of reverence. We adore the name of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A kingdom-minded person wants God's kingdom to come. So we should be praying for God's kingdom to come. And also a kingdom-minded person doesn't want our will done, it wants God's will. And I thought this was interesting. As we pray, and as we look at this verse, we shouldn't be praying for our will to be done, but God's will to be done. Have you ever experienced a trial in your life? Or maybe something that is happening in your life that is causing you just you to, to press into the Lord in maybe a more fervent manner? And this is a reminder that God will put, or allow rather, trials in our life so that our character can grow. So that our endurance can grow. The Apostle Paul, he had an affliction. We read about it in Galatians. Some people think maybe he struggled with poor eyesight. He had some sort of eye disease. We don't, we don't know. But in 2 Corinthians, he mentions this affliction that he had, this, this thing that was buffeting his soul. And it says three times that he prayed that the Lord would take it away. And the Lord said this, that my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so this is, a, this is a reminder, you guys, when we pray to God and we're asking for His will to be done in our lives, we need to take the things that the Lord is using that He puts in our lives to draw us closer to the Lord. You know, don't pray those things away if God's using those things to make sure that our character is in line with what He's wanting us to do. He says, give us this day our daily bread. And again, early scholars, they didn't like that Jesus put bread in this prayer. They thought it was too basic. But what do we know about bread? It's a basic form of nourishment for the body. Even Jesus himself said that he was the bread of life. And so when we're praying this and we're taking this model here, we should be praying things like, Lord, give us the spiritual things that we need to fulfill our day. Take care of us physically, the needs that we need physically, but also, Lord, give us what we need for the day, spiritually. Remember, Jesus said that man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So there's a component in our prayers when we come to God that we're asking him to give us what we need to fulfill his will for us. He says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So in our prayer life, we're asking God to forgive us of our sins. The debts here can be translated as sins. So forgive us of our sins and forgive us of those who sin against us. And we'll look at this a little bit more in verse 14. But again, we should be constantly coming to the Lord asking him to cleanse us of our sins. 
and to give us the ability to forgive those that sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, what this verse isn't saying is, Lord, I want you to lead me in temptation because I'm a conqueror in Christ. I'm going to show everyone how much of a conqueror in Christ I am as you lead me into temptation. It's not what it's saying. When the Lord says, do not lead us in temptation, what Jesus is implying is that avoiding temptation should be one of the primary concerns of a Christian. You know, we are looking for ways to not sin. You know, and if there's things that are in our lives that we are tempted by, we should be avoiding them or eliminating them. We don't put ourselves in temptation's way. We resist temptation. Again, that's kingdom living. Is we, we're not putting ourselves in opportunities to stumble or doing things that would cause other people to stumble and deliver us from the evil one. Again, we've been given weapons in Ephesians chapter 6 to resist the enemy. You know, prayer, faith, you know, the helmet of salvation. We've been given the tools necessary to resist the enemy. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The right kind of prayer praises God and credits to him the kingdom, the power, and the glory. So we jump down to verse 14. And it says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so kingdom-minded people are to be forgiving people. I know we've, those that are believers in Christ, we've been forgiven of our sins from God, which is amazing, right? He's taken all that, that grossness, the, the sins, the guilt and the shame, and he's taken that upon himself. And he's forgiven us of all those things. And that's the reality that we have as believers, is that Jesus has forgiven us. But have you ever been forgiven by somebody else? Maybe you were clearly in the wrong, you missed the mark, you failed, and, and somebody forgave you, they truly forgave you, and the grace that you felt from that person, the love that you felt from that person because they forgave you, how powerful that can be to experience the grace and love of forgiveness from another person. I know I've experienced it, and it's amazing to experience that type of forgiveness. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. The Lord wants us to be continually in a place where we are a forgiving people. We should be known for our forgiveness of others. Now, it doesn't mean that if someone does something really, really wicked to us that we're unwise. You know, obviously we, we need to be wise in what we do and how we respond to things that happen to us. But again, a mark of a Christian or part of this kingdom Jesus is talking about isn't people that harbor bitterness. And I'm sure you guys know those people, right? People that somebody said something to them 20 years ago and they haven't let it go. You know, that person wronged me. They said this 20 years ago. Haven't forgiven them. Never going to forgive them for what they did. You know, that should not be the mark of a kingdom forgiver. You know, we should be people that are forgiving. We're gracious and kind when we can. We shouldn't be people known for our bitterness toward others. We are to be known for our forgiveness. Verses 16 through 18. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with the sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces and they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So Jesus is going to come back to the fundamental practices of the spiritual life in his kingdom, giving, praying, and now fasting. 
So again, fasting is a good thing, right? It's one of the things that Jesus is wanting his disciples to do, and it's something that he's given access for us to do. Fasting is total abstinence from eating. And the practice is to not eat food and feed on the word of God through prayer. Or that's what should be happening. You know, this, this idea of denying self and seeking God. In our weakness, he is made strong. Now, in the Bible, though, you'll see that there were different times that people fasted or even the Israelites would fast. We know that in ancient Israel that they would fast on the Day of Atonement. There were times in the Old Testament where they would fast during times of mourning, or they would fast to gain God's attention on behalf of a sickness. Or maybe there was a critical decision that needed to be made that the Israelites would fast, or if there was urgent prayer, they would fast. But really, the main heart behind Fasting should be drawing near to the Lord. And again, when you draw near to the Lord, no one else is around. You know, I think it's interesting. Um, I'm going to go on a side tangent here, but I, I was at Bible college, and, you know, it would be interesting how many people would tell you that they were fasting. You know, it was almost like it was a scene. You know, they wanted you to know they were fasting, and it was like, probably shouldn't be telling everybody that you're fasting. You know, that should be between you and the Lord. Joel tells us that the purpose was to turn our hearts toward the Lord. Jesus would fast. He fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. You know, before his public ministry, he fasted. And it said that the devil came, or we read that the devil would tempt him, and he would resist him. What did he resist him with? The word of God. And I don't know if you've fasted before. I have a couple times. I'm not trying to toot my own horn here. I'm just saying that there's been times when I've fasted where I've felt just God's presence in a different way. It's like the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to, to bring things into remembrance as we are depleting our body of that, that physical nourishment. We are feeding on the Word of God. And it's a tool that, that we have access to, that Jesus wants His Disciples, he wants us to do. It's a good thing. But again, we are told not to be like the hypocrites. Notice that they disfigured their faces that they may appear to be fasting. Again, they were putting on a show. They would maybe strain their faces so that everyone would look at them and think, oh, oh, man, they're, man, they're, they're really seeking the Lord. You know, they're, those guys are... Those guys are so spiritual. Just look how much pain they're suffering for God. And Jesus said again that that's their reward. You know, you want the, the applause of men, you can have it. Jesus says in verse 17, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but your Father who is in secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, it's, it's the idea here of when you're alone with God and you're doing some of these things, God will reward you in that moment. And he'll also reward you in the kingdom to come. Anoint your head and wash your face. That just means, hey, you're taking care of yourself. You're not putting on a show. You're not doing things so that other people can notice you. You're just taking care of yourself. It's like, hey, this is between me and the Lord. I'm not trying to impress anyone. And as we kind of come to a close here today, I've been really struck by hypocrisy. It's a running theme that we see in our verses here today. And I want to mention three things about hypocrisy. One, hypocrisy robs us of our Christian living. You know, when we substitute reputation for Christian character, it's always a cheap trade. You know, the Pharisees were beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, they were dead. Hypocrisy also robs us of our rewards, and it robs us of our spiritual influence. Now, I, I said, uh, as I prepared for this, the Lord was really speaking to me about myself. 
and there's been times where I've played the hypocrite. And I'm sure you guys too, there's been times where you've played the hypocrite. And the reminder here is that people are watching. People may not know the Lord's Prayer. They may not know Jesus. They may not know the Bible, but they see you. They see me. They see how I act. And as I was thinking about this, the Lord has been gracious and kind to me, but there's been times that I've played the hypocrite. I've put on the mask to make certain people look at me and think better of what I am than maybe what I was showing in private. You know, there's been times in my marriage where I've had to be honest and take off the mask and say, hey, I've been wrong. I've been acting one way or I've been saying one thing and I've actually been doing another. And you know what? That can be, that can be humbling. Now, that can be crushing in some cases. You know, when you come to the honesty before the Lord and you say, Lord, I've been, I've been playing the hypocrite. And again, I feel like the word for us today is if you've been doing that, maybe there's been areas in your life or maybe currently where you've been playing the hypocrite. You know, you've been saying and acting one thing, but on the other hand, you've been doing another. I just want to say the Lord wants to meet you in that place of restoration and grace and forgiveness. You know, God's, God's in the business of using repentant hypocrites. God will meet you. If you really don't want to worry about getting found out for some sort of sin that you've been doing or, or maybe you know, you've been trying to, to hide, God wants to get that thing in the open and move, deal with it and restore you and move on. But you've got to acknowledge that, that, you, that you need to come clean. One of my favorite pictures in the Bible, we can invite the worship team to come back up, is the, not so much a picture, it's an account of the restoration of Peter. You guys know Peter, he was zealous, he loved the Lord. He tended, though, to speak foolishly. <laughs> he told the Lord on, on the night that he was taken away, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus said to him, I tell to you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you shall deny me three times that you know me. I'm sure you guys know the story. As Jesus was taken away, it said that all the disciples fled. Peter fled as well. Three times Peter was asked, hey, weren't you with Jesus in the garden? It says in three times that he said, I do not know him. He denied knowing Jesus three times. It says in one of the gospel accounts that he started cursing that he didn't know the Lord. And it says in, in Luke's account that after the third time that he denied the Lord, he actually locked eyes with the Lord and he started weeping and he ran away. You know, the guilt and the shame of saying one thing, but when push came to shove, he, he didn't match what he had said. And I know for some of us, I know for me, you know, I've experienced that, just the weight of sin, the weight of confessing that I've been acting one way, but in reality, it was the other. It was tough. But I can tell you this, that God is in the business of restoring you, of using you again. You know, the enemy wants us to think once we played the hypocrite that he can never use us again, that he can never use us maybe in the way that we thought he would, but he can. You guys know the end of the account where Jesus comes back and he speaks to Peter and he said, Simon, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And if you know the language, you know, he's... Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me supremely? That sacrificial love, and Peter's like, Lord, you know I love you in that brotherly love kind of way. You know, he wasn't matching the response that Jesus was, was asking for. And there was a humility that had taken place 
And as Jesus asked them three times, it says on the third time, Jesus asked them, do you love me? It says that he was grieved because he was reminded of his shortcomings. But what was going on here is Jesus was publicly restoring him to ministry. And again, this is a reminder today that Jesus will restore us if we're willing to come to him. He's that kind of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we we come before you, Lord, in humility, Lord, and, and just ask. Lord, we ask for you to be with us, Lord, in times of, of great success, Lord, triumph, and also times of, of great failure and disappointment. Times, Lord, where maybe we've missed the mark and we feel like we've played the hypocrite, Lord. We pray just by your grace, by your strength, Lord, you give us the ability to be those repentant people, humble people, Lord, people that are useful for the kingdom of heaven, Father. And I pray for, for anyone here today, if, if this message kind of rang true, that you would give them the ability, Lord. Maybe they need to confess to somebody or go up to somebody and say, hey, I, I, I want to apologize for the way I've been acting. I've been wrong. Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd give us the grace to do that, Lord. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, maybe they've been coming to church or listening online, they've um, kind of been playing the game, Lord. They, they kind of come, but they don't really know you. We pray just in Jesus' name that you would continue to draw them as a good, good father does. Lord, if there's anyone here today, Lord, and you're here and you're saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I don't, I don't want to be living for the wrong system. I want to be living for you and your kingdom. In the quietness of your heart, if you just say, Lord, I need you. Be my God. Forgive me of my sins. Lord, cleanse me. The Lord will meet you right now and right here. We'll have uh, some people in the back here that can pray for you if you need prayer. But Father God, we just thank you for your goodness and grace. Lord, we're thankful that you love us, Lord, that, that you've given us tools to be in your kingdom, that you want your kingdom to look a certain way. And Lord, give us the grace to match what your kingdom looks like, even when we fall short. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name.